Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. So turn with me to Genesis 37. I'm going to be there in just a minute. And uh, we're continuing on this theme as we go through the book of Genesis, looking at what I'm calling threads. And what I mean by threads, if you've been here for a while now, you you know uh, what I mean by that. Really themes woven through the fabric of the book of Genesis. And ultimately, most of the time, the, the threads find their ways weaving into the other books of the Bible and throughout the entirety of Scripture. <clears throat> and uh, so it is with the theme tonight. But we've looked at many threads that weave through Genesis. Uh, we've looked at the theme of names, of brotherly strife, of boundaries and boundary crossing, uh, Melchizedek and the priesthood. We looked at sacrifice, of generational sin, um, wells, as in water wells. It's a strange theme, but it's all over the book of Genesis. The theme of blessings and the theme of battles. Tonight, I want us to look at the theme of robes and garments. Robes and garments. Genesis 37. The context here, uh, Jacob, the son of Isaac, has grown up and now had, between his two wives, 12 sons. And uh, he has one that is favored. It's Joseph. And so, I'll read here what I would say is maybe the anchor verse of this theme, and we're going to find it throughout the book of Genesis tonight. This is what Genesis 37, verse 3 reads. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of the other Uh, any other sons of his, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. He made him a robe of many colors. Again, I want to look at the theme of robes and garments tonight. Um, And like many of the other themes, brotherly strife or, or water wells, this theme can easily be completely missed if we just read sporadically small portions of Scripture isolated from its context. That, that would be the downfall of what is sometimes called cherry-picking Scripture. You miss what really the author's trying to say, the depth of what the author's trying to say if you don't read large chunks of Scripture. So that doesn't have to be the only way you read Scripture, but oftentimes that's how you will get the most out of reading Scripture is by reading large chunks to see the full scope of what is being said. I think if we just read Genesis 37 by itself and never read the 36 chapters before it, we'd never know the significance of garments in the book of Genesis, but there is great significance in them. Really, I think in Genesis there's Two different symbols that garments or robes represent in the book of Genesis. Firstly, robes can 
indicate that there's a presence of shame. Shame. That people are robing themselves to cover up. Right? We have guilt. We have shame. We have things that we're embarrassed about. And maybe it's true for you. I know it certainly is for me. I'd like to think it's true for nearly everybody. That we all have something in our mind that a memory of an action that we made, not our fondest memory, right? Our proudest moment. But if you think back to it, you just just cringe and recluse a little bit. "Ah, Get that out of my mind. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. Do you have that moment? I have those moments where it's just moments of I get embarrassed even though I'm the only one thinking about it. But I feel embarrassment thinking about that memory. I think another word for that would be shame. And what we want to do is just push it away and not see it. The way Genesis describes that is through taking a garment to cover it. To cover it and hide it. So we'll see that in just a minute. The the second way that we see the use of robes and garments is not to cover shame, but to display stature. Not shame, stature. And favor. Like royalty. Right? So we we actually, this seems to, this is less of a leap and less uh, needing of explanation. You you know, um, governments that are led by monarchies, Whenever a king comes into, into his position or a queen comes into her position, what happens but a ceremony where they are crowned with some kind of garb or, or crown, literally. Or obviously, we're not under a monarchy, but if you look in our context, if somebody goes to school and they uh, get their doctorate, they uh, have a robing or a hooding ceremony where, where somebody would come and hood them a ceremony representing the stature that they've worked hard for and they've earned. I know also medical students, maybe nurses, I'm not, I'm not sure really who, but um, I know medical students have a ceremony where they get their, their white robe, right? I think that's what it's called, a white robe, I think. But it's a robing ceremony. It's not indicating any sense of shame, but rather it's an indication of stature, stature. And the biblical authors, particularly Moses in writing Genesis, also does this where he would use garments to display stature and favor in somebody's life. We'll look at these two themes and how I think they really can speak greatly and deeply into your life and my life. So, firstly, garments being used before Joseph in the book of Genesis to describe covering up shame. Obviously, it's seen most clearly in Genesis 3, isn't it? Adam and Eve are in the garden and they sin. They eat the forbidden fruit that God says, do not eat. You can eat anything else. You eat the eat. Just don't eat that. And what do they do? Right? They're just like you and I. We crave what we can't have. The, the grass is always greener in the pastures that you shouldn't wander in. Right? 
It's just human nature. It's original sin rooted deep inside you and inside me. We crave what isn't ours. And that's what they did. They ate the forbidden fruit. And so then they felt this sense of shame, of, of embarrassment, and they didn't want to stand before God. It was like the bad memory that you might have and that I have, and they just wanted to push it out. They didn't want to see God. They didn't want God to see them. They had messed up, and they knew it. And so what do they do? They try to cover themselves. Genesis 3-7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were open. That's Adam and Eve. And, and they, they knew that they were naked. That's shameful. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. They felt ashamed and they tried the best of their abilities to cover up that shame by creating for themselves some kind of makeshift garment. you got to you know, use what you can when you're in a garden, right? So that's what they did. But it didn't work. If you know the rest of the story, Jesus, or God comes and He says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And, and, he, and He finds them. He knows where they're at the whole time. But I think that's to show that Adam didn't want to come to God. And God comes to him and He says, what have you done? And they, they fess up and they admit their sin, their shame. God saw it. God knew it. There was no way they could hide it from God. There's no way that they could sweep it under the carpet so God wouldn't see it. It was exposed. There's no way God wouldn't be fooled. There's no way He would be fooled. And so they tried to cover it up and they couldn't do it. And it's what's interesting, and I don't think is always seen in the story of Genesis chapter 3, is God says those loincloths aren't enough. You need animal skins. If you jump to verse 21. In chapter 3. And the Lord, after he's given the curse to the snake, and he tells uh, Eve what her repercussions are now, and, and Adam, you're going to work for the soil, the sweat of your brow, and he gives the curse and the, and the repercussions of your sins. And after he does all that, dishes all that out, in verse 21 we see, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. And we just need to pump the brakes and see what's happening here. Think about this. Man sins. Man tries to cover it up with man's own works. Doesn't work. Their sin is still fully in front of God. Only God can cover our sin and our shame and do it for us. And it's interesting that he did it with skins, animal skins, meaning death was required for us to be covered. And I think, of course... This foreshadows, this verse foreshadows the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, all the way back to Genesis 3. Jesus is God providing for us the covering for our shame through death. Jesus is the fulfillment of the garments of skins. And so I just want to encourage you with with this, I guess it starts with the reality check that, guys, you, you can't cover your sh shame no matter how hard you work. You, 
You can't cover your sin. Standing before God, I can't. I know I can't. I know you can't. The Bible says so. None of us can. But God can and He does cover your shame through Jesus. He provides for you garments that cover any amount of shame. There's no amount of embarrassment or cringing moments that God can't cover. And He does. He provides that for you. He provides that for me. Think about uh, when Sarah and I would go on a fancy dinner and I remember one time she got something, I don't remember what it was, smudged on her shirt. For a guy... Just keep eating, baby. <laughs> I just don't care. But Sarah's like, oh no, you know. And for women, they just care more. You know, it's their dress, their blouse, whatever it is. And so, um, what does a good husband do? Take off his jacket, drape it over her, cover her up. Now, I didn't do that. I was cold. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but, but that's what groom would do for his bride. And I think that's what Christ does for his church. He covers her. That there's no embarrassment. And there's no shame. He covers it all for him. That's what he does for us. There's no embarrassment, no cringing, no awkwardness before God. It's covered up. And it's through the symbol of a, of a garment I, I think it's so amazing. I, I've got a, I, I looked at this on my phone. I typed it in real quick while Pastor Trent and, and Gina were um, leading us in um, Rock of Ages. It was just, firstly, amazing picking that song and just how fitting that was. I don't know if you noticed that. Of course, I was looking for it because I knew I was, what I was about to preach on. But Rock of Ages, we just sung this. Let me just read it now in that context of how God covers us of our sin and shame and we can't do it. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I'm going to skip to verse 2. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Never. Thou must save and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. That's what we just sung. And that's what God does through the image of, of garments. Now, not only in Genesis are garments used as a symbol to cover up sin and shame. It is, Genesis 3. But also, garments are used in the story of Joseph particularly, where garments are used as a symbol of stature and favor. Actually, multiple places in Joseph's story. Firstly, we can go back to Genesis 37, where it's Joseph and his brothers. Let me reread uh, Verse 3, and we're going to actually jump a few different places in 37 because I can't read the whole chapter in the time that we've got. Verse 3 again. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Okay, And so if we jump now to verse 23, the brothers get really jealous. They despise Joseph for this if you know the story. 
And then we see in verse 23, if you're looking at it, so when Joseph came to his brothers, he was instructed to go find them. They were out in the wilderness. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And then again, if we just jump a little bit more to verses 31 and 32, we see after they stripped him of the robe, we know that he threw, they threw him in a pit, and they came up with this, they devised some plan to tell Israel or Jacob that he had died. So we read in verse 31, Then they took Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a goat, and they dipped the robe in the blood. I think that's a foreshadowing, but we can't do it right now. But you probably see it. Verse 32, And they sent the robe of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and they said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. So that's what they did. They threw him in a pit, and they, they, they took his robe, ripped it off, even though that was a robe of his stature, of his favor from his father. And they covered in blood, and they brought it back, and they said, oh no, has he been eaten by an animal? Is this his robe, Dad? And so they deceived Jacob. Now, fun fact about um, Hebrew translation in this passage. Um, I don't like always doing that, but sometimes it's just like so unavoidable because it's ama- it really just brings to life a point that you can't do without it. Um, but I know sometimes there are dishonest speakers who get away with lying because they know they can with their audience. I was in a uh, youth camp one time. Sarah was with me, um, I think. Uh, I was youth pastoring at the time, brought my kids to youth camp, and I remember the camp speaker. Oh, it made me so mad. I found his email, and I emailed him afterwards, and I said, you can't do that. That's lying, and that's deceptive. But anyway, um, but he was preaching on uh, the, uh, the trial of Jesus before Caiaphas uh, and uh, before they sentenced him to be crucified. And, and um, just so outlandish, the, the speaker, because he knew his audience wouldn't know, he said, you know, and what's amazing in the Greek, always get defensive whenever they do that because you just, because I'm about to do that, but you know, um, but he said, you know what's amazing is in the Greek, Caiaphas, his name, actually means the rooster crows three times. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that at all. That's the most ridiculous thing that I'd ever heard. And, I was like, and my kids looked at me, and they looked down the aisle like, really? I'm like, no, absolutely not. It doesn't mean that. I looked up so many, anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent, but Fun fact about this passage, though, and your study Bible might actually say it, so fact check me here. Um, It's true, I promise. The phrase there, robe of many colors, can also just as easily be translated or understood as robe with long sleeves. It's true. It probably, if you have a study Bible, it's probably in there. That's true. Robe of many colors can also be understood as robe with long sleeves. And I think that's very helpful with seeing a parallel story, the story of Tamar. See, Tamar, it's not in Genesis, we're going to thread this on through the rest of the Old Testament and get to 2 Samuel, because Tamar was the daughter of uh, David, King David, the daughter of the king, okay? And this story that we're about to read in 2 Samuel, she goes to take care of her brother who's sick, laying in bed, sick. And uh, I, won't, I won't describe it, I'll just read it all. Second Samuel, chapter 13, verses 8 through 19. Listen to the story of Tamar, 
the daughter of King David. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon, Amnon's house, where he was lying down, and she took dough, and she kneaded it, and she made cake in his sight, and she baked the cakes. She took the pan, and she emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everybody from me. So everybody went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. This is her brother. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon's, to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and he said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her, and he lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. She said, You've already violated me. It's worse to make me now go out unclean and fend for myself. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man, served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Verse 18, now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head, and she tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud, as she went. Now, putting these two stories next to each other, we have to notice something. They wore the same kind of robe, whether it be robe of many colors or robe with long sleeves. There's intentionality in connecting these two stories, I believe. It's the same phrase in Hebrew. Both Joseph and Tamar received robes of stature and favor from their father, King David and Israel. Their father gave them this robe because they loved them, because she was a pure virgin, his own daughter, and he gave her this robe in honor of that. Israel loved his son Joseph. He gave him this robe in honor of that. They both had this robe of honor and stature given to them by their father, People, evil people, even people that were closest to them that they should have been able to trust, their brothers, tried to ruin what they had received from their father and defile it. Takeaway from this, I think, is Satan uses the most devastating of tools, the people that we love most sometimes, to turn us from God. 
I think all the more reason that we need to root our faith in not what people say about us, but what God says about us. And the stature that we receive from God, not from other people. Second story of Joseph. The first one was his brothers ripped this robe from him, threw him in a pit. So he ends up getting out of the pit, sold by traitors, brought to Egypt, and he now is under, uh, he's a slave to this man named Potiphar. And he's under the supervision of Potiphar, and he's caring for Potiphar's household. He ends up becoming uh, so favored by his master that he is in charge of and made accessible to everything, except for one thing, Potiphar's wife. And just side note, I think there's a connection between him having access to everything except for the one thing, and Adam and Eve, the one fruit. And he was allowed to have anything in the house, use anything he wanted to in the house, except for having relations with Potiphar's wife. And this is where we get to our present passage, and if you want to turn there, Genesis 39. Verses 6, and, verses six through 8 says, So Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. Now, if we just jump to verse, uh, verses 11 through 14, uh, just for the sake of time. She was persistent. And it says, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment, notice how many times Moses is really trying to write the word garment. As soon as she, uh, as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See that he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. And if we kept reading it all the time too. The word garment's used again. So what do we take from this story? David needs to be better about getting his clothes, keeping hold of them, not getting them stolen, I think. No, that's not a good takeaway. <laughs> but I think just like Joseph was clothed by his father and then clothed by his master, I think we are also clothed by our father and our master Robes of favor. Honorable robes. God has clothed you, Christian, with favor. The righteousness of Christ covers you. People, maybe even the ones closest to you, will try to strip you of that, convince you that you don't have it, mock you for it, be jealous because you do have a relationship with God. People will try to pull it away from you. But if God clothes you with his robes, they can't take it off you. 
at least long term. Notice that in the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers tried to rip off his robes, and he had a time of difficulty, but eventually he found favor again. And then he had his garments ripped off again by Potiphar's wife. But the story doesn't end there, does it? He goes into a long season of difficulty again. But the story ends with him being only second to the king of Egypt. Again, being in charge of everything that he wanted in the kingdom. People can try to rip us from the favor that God has given his people, yet ultimately they will never be successful, for God has clothed us with it. And no one can reverse the work of God. Now, this theme isn't only in Genesis and 2 Samuel. This theme is explicitly carried into the New Testament. Christ was stripped of his royal robes when he wore our shame on the cross. Let me read to you briefly Matthew 27. This is 28 through 31. It says, and they, this is the people that were going to crucify Jesus. And it says, and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. Okay, so royalty robes because they were going to mock him. He was saying that he was the king of the Jews. I'm like, okay, we'll make you look like that. They put on these royalty robes, robes of favor, and they twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand, trying to make him look like a king. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe. And they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. Historically, crucifixion always included being stripped naked to be humiliated, mocked. Then the individual would be hung right next to the roadway so that people as they walked by would see the despicable lawbreaker. It was meant to be humiliating as much as it was to be painful. Christ takes our place. Like Adam and Eve, we're shamefully naked before God. No matter what we do, we can't cover our shame, our sin. It should be us on that cross naked, fully exposed before God. Yet Jesus allows his royal robes taken off. And he embraces the shame that we should be wearing. And he wears our shame. And in place, not only does he wear our shame, but he gives us his righteousness, his robes of purity that we can wear. As he wears our shame and takes off his robe of royalty, he gives us his robes of purity and righteousness. Revelation chapter 7. John is talking to an angel and he says, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? That's what the angel said. John said to the angel, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These ones in the white robes are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes 
and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So that's what Christ does for you, church. That's what he does for me. Not only does he wear our shame, but he robes you in white robes, pure robes that cover your sin, that cover your shame, cover your nakedness, that we might be wholly acceptable before God. And so my two charges before you, if you will. Firstly, don't wear the garment of shame. Christ took that from you. Don't live in self-discouragement, self-hate, never letting go of the mistakes that you've made or the mistakes that you're currently wrestling with. Staying there and just feeling that shame, embracing that guilt and discouragement is simply to deny the gift that Jesus gives you when He took your place on the cross and wears that shame for you. So, my first charge, don't wear the garment of shame. Instead, wear your new garments of favor in Christ. He gave it to you. Humbly see yourself as pure, as as righteous, as holy. Even in the midst of the mistakes that you're making right now and have made in the past, see yourself as wholly acceptable before God because of the robes that Christ gave you. This is how we accept the gift that Jesus gives us freely when He takes our sin from us. It's a beautiful theme starting in Genesis 3, the theme of garments and how Christ fulfills them for us. Thank you, Jesus, that He covers our, our shame and robes us in righteousness. Let me pray for us tonight. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.